We're in a series looking at does Christianity pass the test on certain issues and topics that are very difficult. Um, And so what we're diving into is just the difficult questions that people ask that you might have or that friends, neighbors, family members have asked you and you're like, geez, I'm not real sure about that. And we're going to look at a really difficult topic today on suffering and evil. Why does God allow suffering and evil in our in our world today. You know, for me, I am glad when people passed their tests, especially when it comes to someone who flies a plane. That that's really important that they know how to fly a plane and they've gone through all this stringent work to fly a plane. When we were uh, flying, we had to fly from Newark, long flight Newark to Las Vegas, and then eventually drive up uh, to Utah. And when we were flying, it was just a really lot of turbulence all the way there. And when we flew into Las Vegas, they're under a uh, wind, uh, wind watch, wind warning. Uh, and so when we flew in, I knew, I'm like, this is, I'm warning, but I go, it's going to be, it's going to be a ride. If you like roller coasters, this is for you. So we get under 10,000 feet, and it, the plane's just going all over the place, and people are getting sick. I've got my thumb in my mouth crying out in a fetal position. And it was just, and, and I'm thinking to my, you know, the back of your mind, you're like, man, I hope these are good pilots. I just hope they're good. And you, you think to yourself, how do they land this thing in these, you know, 40 to 50 mile an hour wind gusts, you know, and they, and they, they landed it great. And I'm like, Thank God they passed their tests and that they have experience, right? Does The question is, does Christianity pass the test on really difficult issues that we face? I'm very thankful for Russell Eisen. Spoke last week. He's one of our elders, our deacons. Did a great job. I just threw out like all the hardest questions. Yeah. I said, Russ, here's the hardest questions. Just go at it. Just deal with it. And so he did a great job. I watched online last week. And, and, and this week we're going to deal with some really tough ones too. Um, Sean McDowell is a professor uh, in, Christ, in Christian apologetics program at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And he is asked these questions all the time, these really difficult questions. And he was asked, what, what is the most common question that you get asked about, you know, about Christian faith? The most difficult question that you get asked. He said, the number one question that I get asked is the problem of evil and suffering. And how could God allow this? One of the most challenging questions is why do we suffer and why is there evil in the world? If God is such a good God, why does he allow suffering and why doesn't he do something? It, it's, it's hard to witness even what we're, uh, what's happening in our world today, especially with the country of Ukraine. And we need to be continually praying for the country and the people of Ukraine terrible what they're going through right now. And if, if you want to be part of what God is doing, we have one organization called Convoy of Hope that we support monthly as a church. They're a disaster relief ministry. They're there now in Poland helping all the million-plus refugees have, have flooded into Poland and, along with Samaritan's Purse. But if you'd like to be part of that, um, you can give to Convoy of Hope. You can go to their website. Or if you want to write a check, put Convoy of Hope on that or go to our website under the Missions tab. You can designate Convoy of Hope and we'll make sure to add that on to our monthly giving to the Convoy of Hope as they help with all the refugees that are pouring in uh, to the country of Poland. And as we continue to pray for those people that, that God would continue to minister to them and through the groups uh, that, are, that are there. But for many, many, this trips them up with their belief in God. 
For many, when they go through some difficult thing or, or some trial that's hard to understand, this is the one thing that can easily trip them up in their faith with the Lord. And if we're, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, this is not only a question for those who may not be followers of Christ or call themselves a Christian, but this is a question that followers of Christ wrestle with also. It was interesting. There was a Greek philosopher who lived 300 years before Christ. His name was Epicurus. And Epicurus asked the same question about God uh, when dealing with evil and suffering. And there are questions that led him to try to understand the nature of God. And he basically came up with three things about evil and suffering and the nature of God. He said, is God willing to prevent evil or suffering but is not able, then he must not be all-powerful. Is God able but not willing? Then he must be cruel, not caring, or even good. Is he both able and willing? Then why evil and suffering in our world? Why would a good God allow this to happen? And so the overarching question that I want to delve into today is this. Can God still be good and allow suffering? Can God still be good and allow evil and suffering? Can God still be powerful and good if evil and suffering are in our world? Those are the questions I want to delve into. So take a deep breath. It's going to be fun this morning. And I'm glad you came to church today. I'm glad you're watching online. You see, we've all wrestled with the whys in our lives, haven't we, at one time or another? We all wrestled with the whys. Why did this happen to me? Why am I struggling with this health issue? Why for so long? Why did my spouse leave me? Why did I lose my job? Why did this person die so young? Why the suffering in our world and the evil in our world? Is suffering a test that Christianity fails to answer? Is suffering and evil a test that Christianity fails to answer? Well, I believe in our finite thinking, like Epicurus, we might think that there is no reason for suffering. Like, it makes no sense. Is is there a reason for suffering? But I want you to know this morning that scriptures do give us a reason for why there is evil and suffering in our world. And we know that we live in a fallen world. And if we don't have a correct Christian understanding or, or a biblical worldview and an understanding of the world we live in, we're going to be lost to try to find answers for the reason why we see the things we see in our world. And we know that we live in a fallen world that's been devastated because of the choice that we have made because of sin. And we see evil choices made from, from, from people that, that have done atrocious things to one another. We see that because of sin and the result of sin. But the Bible also doesn't avoid suffering or try to even whitewash it. God deals with evil and suffering head on and gives us not only that, but gives us a a hope for the future. So the one point I want to try to, to have us understand very clearly this morning is we cannot define God through our circumstances. We must define God by his character. And I think the problem we run into is when something happens in our lives, when we don't understand the suffering we go, go through, we automatically point back to God and say, God, where are you? you? Or you must not be good. Or God must not care. And when things are going well in our life, all of a sudden it's hashtag blessed, right? God, you're so good and everything's wonderful, right? But when things don't go our way or we go through a time of suffering or trials, all of a sudden we, we turn on God's character, 
And I want us to realize we cannot define God through our circumstances. If that's the case, your walk with God is going to be like riding a roller coaster. So we must define God first through his character. God desires for us is to trust his character over our circumstances. And this is really difficult for us to do because our circumstances drive everything in our lives. Because if things are going well, things are great. If things aren't going well, then all of a sudden life is topsy-turvy. No matter what might happen in my life, it will never change who God is. And we need to understand that God is always good. And I want to look at an Old Testament example in the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He wasn't a popular prophet. He spoke the truth of God's word, and he was persecuted even amongst his own people because he spoke God's truth to a people who had backslid and walked away from God in their intimate relationship with him. And God was, God was using Jeremiah to try to be a mouthpiece of restoration. But Jeremiah lived through one of the most horrific uh, times in the history of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem and, and a foreign nation coming in and taking over Israel and Jerusalem. And, and, and Jeremiah sees all this and he's hurting and he's, and, he's, and he's wondering why. And Jeremiah actually suffers the consequences of others who have abandoned God. All right, can I get real with you guys this morning? Sometimes, sometimes we suffer the consequences of other people's bad choices. It's a hard reality, but it's true. You see, people didn't like Jeremiah speaking the truth to their hardened hearts. They didn't want the reality of what was really going on in their hearts. And so they came against Jeremiah, not running to God and finding forgiveness. They came against the very person who was trying to show them the way out. So at one point, Jeremiah is thrown into a cistern where water is stored. However, there's no water in there. It's just mud. It's just muck. And Jeremiah is sitting in this muddy, mucky cistern, and he's wondering why. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm your mouthpiece. I'm speaking the truth, but I'm the one that's in the cistern. I'm the one that's in this muddy situation. And Jeremiah is eventually rescued, and in the midst of Jerusalem's destruction, God gives Jeremiah hope. And Jeremiah 39, 17, and 18, listen to what God says to Jeremiah, even with all this stuff that's going on around him. He says to Jeremiah, but I will rescue you from those you fear so much because you trusted me. Notice what God is saying to Jeremiah. Don't trust the circumstances around you. Trust in me. I will reward you because you've trusted in me and I will give your life as a reward and I will rescue you and keep you safe. I, the Lord, have spoken, exclamation point. God says, you trust me. You trusted me. I know it doesn't look good right now, but trust me, I will reward you. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah the prophet looks around and he sees Israel's destruction and he doesn't hide his feelings. He doesn't hide his feelings. He's raw with God. He shares with God how he feels about what's going on. And when we look around our world, it should break our hearts. It should cause us to weep. Not, not to turn a blind eye to it, but to do something about it. And so I want you to listen to how raw the words of Jeremiah are in Lamentations 3, 19 through 
through 26. Some of, some of my most favorite verses in, in the Old Testament, I love what happens here because Jeremiah is raw with God, shares his feelings, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't allow his rawness and getting his feelings out to bring him to a state of hopelessness. Listen to what he says. He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. But he stops there. He doesn't continue to grovel in that hopelessness. He reminds himself, even in the worst part of his situation and circumstances, he says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Notice what he turns to. He turns to the character of God to help him in his darkest time. Let's look at verse 22. He says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Never ends. In fact, his mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Every single morning, we can experience the mercies and the grace of God. And then he said, and I say to myself, so it's okay to talk to yourself, okay? At times, it's okay, not too much, because then people would think you're crazy, but it's okay to talk to yourself. What Jeremiah does now is he encourages himself. He goes, I'm going to say to myself, he's speaking to himself on the character of God. What does he say? He says, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. What, What Jeremiah is saying is he goes, my hopelessness or the hopelessness of the situation is not my inheritance. This isn't my final place. My final place is with the Lord. And for those who have put their trust in Christ Jesus, our final inheritance is what? Where is it? It's in heaven with the Lord forever with him for those who have put their trust in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. And then he says, the Lord is good to those who depend on him. Even though the circumstances are grim, the Lord is still good to those who search for him. So it is good, it's good to do this, to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He's going to wait. He's going to be patient because he knows God will ultimately deliver and God will ultimately deliver us. We will see the fruition of our salvation when we see Christ in the fullness of of his glory and his goodness when we see him in heaven. See, I want you to notice that Jeremiah, what he does here to encourage himself and, 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 and the least you know, despair that he has, the most despairing time of his life, I want you to notice that Jeremiah trusts God's character over his present situation in both passages. He trusts his character. So God told Jeremiah that he would be safe. So what Jeremiah does is Jeremiah trusted the faithfulness of God. He knew God's mercies were never ending and knew every morning. So the question is this. The question is this. How do we make sense of our suffering? How do we make sense of the trials? How do we make sense of evil in our world today? The only thing I can give you is Jesus. The only answer we have is in Christ. Christ is gives us the answer to make sense of why there's suffering and evil in our world today. I want you to understand that God came to earth to deliberately put himself on the hook 
of human suffering. Jesus is known as the suffering servant, that he literally suffered in our place. He took evil and suffering head on when he went to the cross to give his life as a ransom for you and I, as a substitute for our sin. Jesus understands that he took the weight of the world's sin upon himself. And he conquered it through his resurrection. That's where our redemption comes from Christ, that we can be healed from the effects of sin and all those things that come with it. Jesus took on himself the weight of the sin of the world and human suffering. I like what Peter Kreft says here. He says, in Christ, in Christ, God experienced the greatest, greatest depths of pain. Therefore, Though Christianity does not provide the reason for each experience of pain, it provides a deep resource for actually facing suffering with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. Because Jesus faced it for us, we know that we will one day, we will one day be with him and conquer this world and all the suffering that's with it. See, we live in a world where people do evil things. We live in a world where people have free will to choose. That is why our world is broken. We live in a broken, broken world. Just look around our world today. We live in a broken world. We see the devastating effects in Ukraine, and we see the devastating effects in a little town called Hildale, Utah. And God says, how do we meet that need? We go. There are people right now that are missing to those refugees in Ukraine. There's a group of people in Hildale, Utah, who are ministering to those who've been broken. God is there. God is ministering. And God is working through his people. We are literally his hands and his feet extended into our world. It may be a neighbor that's hurting. You know, when we were flying through the, the airport we were getting coffee at a, at a Starbucks, and I could tell the, the, the girl that was serving us was just hassled. You know, people, you know, they're trying to make their connecting flights and blah, blah, blah. And I, I just looked at her, and I said, I just said, are you all right? I just felt like asking her And she's like, oh, I'm just having a really bad day. She goes, she just said, you know, I don't know if people really care. And so I said, well, you're doing a great job. I said, I appreciate the hard work that you're putting in. And I know the line is long, but I appreciate the hard work you're putting in. All of a sudden, her attitude just changed like that. And she goes, you know what? Thanks for asking how I was doing. I really appreciate that. And I thought to myself as, as I got my drink, she called me honey child, which was great. She goes, here you go, honey child. I, I love that. I was like, call me honey child all day long. And I think she even gave me the bigger cup. I only got a ground. I think she gave me the bigger one. And, um, you know, I thought about that. How many missed opportunities do I miss to seek out somebody who's hurting? Because I miss them all the time. That's how much God cares. He cares as much as the refugees in Ukraine is that hurting people who've been caught in a cult to, the, to that woman in Starbucks who's having a bad day. That's how God deals with suffering. He uses us, his people, to be his feet and his arms extended into a hurting world. See, Jesus comes into our broken world to give new life and restore that which was broken. I'll be honest with you, over the last week, I just had testimony overload because every leader that works in the Dream Center had gone through some 
very difficult thing in their life, whether it was an addiction or whatever, and, and they all shared their stories. Now, are they living with the consequences of many of the bad choices they made? They are. But you see the hope that they have in the redemption that Christ gave them by turning their lives over to him. And the stories were incredible. And what you see is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus takes all the messiness and the brokenness, the devastation of our bad choices, and he redeems it for his glory. And he takes us and he uses us to reach out to other people. I, those stories are humbling to me for this reason, that God would choose us by his grace. The message that was just portrayed last week was this. We don't qualify who we serve. Jesus didn't come and get out his notebook and say, okay, Barden, are you worthy of my death? Let's first see. Really, you talk back to your parents. That's bad. I don't know if you're worthy of my death. You know, we, some people would say, well, why would you go into a school? That's part of people who don't believe what we believe because we don't qualify who we serve. Jesus gave his life for them. They need to see grace and love and service so that we have the opportunity to share who Jesus truly is. And that's what happened to Brielle at a women's battered shelter for women. She saw people that loved on her. She never saw that grace before. We, we walked around the school because I, I noticed that one room, all they had was like the Ten Commandments, which is fine. Thing. But everything was, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. I didn't see any New Testament scriptures on God's grace. God's a just God, but he's a gracious God at the same time. Sometimes I think we miss God's grace for the sake of making sure we cram the truth down someone's throat. <sighs> Sorry. Jesus came and he didn't qualify. He died while we were still sinners, the Bible says. God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. While I was far away from him and I cursed his name, Jesus still died for me, waiting for me through his love to realize how powerful his grace was and how magnificent his death was to die for my sin that I least deserved it and I didn't merit it and had nothing to do with me. It's all dependent on his grace and his mercy. And it drove me to my knees to come to him and to realize how great that grace is that saved a wretch like me. See, the hope that we have is this. The hope that we have is God will make all things new. And we get a little glimpse of it. I love that last week because you get a glimpse of those who were in the, who were in the, the dream center, of those who were, were, were uh, part of the, the L, L, LDS church and uh, fundamental Latter-day Saints church. And there's this one boy, I remember, um, there was no room. Nobody wanted to sit with me in the cafeteria. So I was like, you ever get that in the cafeteria? And you're like, where am I going to sit? And there's no room. And I remember there's one table, and there's two people I didn't know, so I just sat down there. And uh, there's this one boy there. His name was Lauren. And um, Lauren was, used to be part of the church. And uh, I remember sitting down with Lauren and saying, hey, what's your name? He says, my name's Lauren. He couldn't wait to tell me 
that he graduated from high school. And for 15 minutes, he told me what he went through and what he did and how thankful he was for the Dream Center and having a place to live and people that loved on him. He's a Christian. He follows Jesus now. I love those stories because you see what was meant for destruction, evil. God takes this young man named Lauren and changed his life. He got his, he got his high school diploma, which is a big deal, which is a huge deal. And he was so proud of that. And he worked at the local grocery store. And he would just wear his um, grocery store vest around all the time. He was so proud. of it. I go, Lauren, are you working today? No, just wearing my vest. Just wearing my vest. I go, okay, cool, man. I like you. You look, you look fly, man. You look awesome. But here's the thing. Here's how God makes all things new. And let, let me finish with this. Revelation 21. I love this. I share this many times at funerals because it gives hope to those of us who share in our faith in Christ Jesus. John has given this vision of this holy city. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Jeremiah saw the destruction of Jerusalem. John's given a view of the new Jerusalem, the restored Jerusalem, the one where God is, has restored and has renewed. And he says, I saw it coming down from heaven and God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 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 look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or taxes or taxes, or taxes, or taxes. No more high gas prices at the pump. Praise God. And he says, because the old order of things has what? Passed away. God is going to renew all things. So why does God want us to trust his character over our circumstances? For this reason. God promises us that he will always be with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. No matter how difficult it may get, no matter how big the trial is, God makes this promise with us through his son, this covenant through his son's precious blood that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I have bounded myself to you. Nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And I love this message that, that God revealed to Mary and Joseph. Um, Mary and Joseph were about to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And the angel of the Lord told Joseph that, that he, should marry, uh, he should marry Mary and uh, Mary Mary. He should marry Mary. And, 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 he, and he, he, he tells him the name of this Messiah. And I love this. He said, they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, and I think Mary and Joseph needed to hear that because everything that they were going to have to traverse. That they themselves would be a refugee that would have to flee and go to Egypt because their lives were at stake. And I don't know, maybe that whole way to Egypt, they were thinking, this little baby that's with us is Emmanuel, God with us. He's not going to leave us. He's right here with us. And I want you to know that through all the things you may traverse through in your life, know Emmanuel, God is with us. He binds himself to us. He is always with us. God will be with us even in our 
worst of days, but that's the promise. He will be with us. I, I saw this news new story um, with all the refugees fleeing into Poland. I saw this one couple, they were from Denmark, and they had a huge sign. They said, we'll take eight people into our home. And they asked me, they said, well, why would you? They said, well, we need to do something, and this is what we feel like we, we, we could do. God is there in the worst of your days. God with us. We trust the God who holds us. And through the cross and the resurrection, what Jesus does is he conquers, he defeats evil and death for us so that one day we would never have to face suffering again. So my hope's in Christ. Peter tries to make sense of this in his letter. And let me finish with this first. First Peter 6, or First Peter 1, 6 and 7. Peter says, so be truly glad, as he writes to those that are being persecuted for their faith. He says, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being, it, it, it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Your suffering is never in vain. Don't waste it. It's not in vain. So Peter tells us that there's this process of purifying our faith that is only accomplished through trials. We can trust the character of God because God is good and he will restore all things. So what he says to the prophet Jeremiah, he says to you and I today, because you have trusted me, I will reward you. But it is good to patiently wait for the salvation of the Lord. And he will one day ultimately save us, even though we traverse in a very difficult and ungodly world. Let's take this opportunity as God's church to be the church. Let's take this opportunity to be God's church. I remember going down to Biloxi, Mississippi to help after Hurricane Katrina. And I remember just walking down the streets and we're handing out clothes as we were gutting out houses and trying to rebuild them. And there was, a, there was this one woman who was out in the street. She was, I know who you are. I'm like, she knows who I am. What did I do? I first asked her, are you carrying? Okay, as long as you don't have a gun, are you carrying? So I came over. I said, do you want any clothes or anything? She goes, well, where are you staying? I said, well, we're staying over here, a bunch of tents. You see all these tents. We're staying in tents and, and living over here. And she goes, I know what you're doing. And I said, well, what, what's that? She goes, I know that you're part of the church. And she wasn't a Christian. But she goes, let me tell you, the church is the only one who's here. She saw it. See, that's where we become such a beautiful representation of who Jesus is when we serve. When we serve in the midst of people's heartache, whatever the destruction might be, these moments, whether it's Ukraine or Hildel, Utah, 
The bright and shining moment for the church is when we humble ourselves and we serve and we don't qualify those that we serve. So as we take communion this morning, may we be reminded as the body of Christ the suffering that Jesus accomplished for you and I, the death. And as we, as we look at the emblems and as we hold them in our hands, we're reminded of Jesus' body and his blood that was given for us that we didn't deserve, we didn't merit it, we didn't earn it. But he shed it for the church so that we could be cleansed, that we could be made right before a holy God. And Jesus, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is the covenant that I'm making through my blood that binds you to my Father, that it's through me that you can have this relationship. And that's where Jesus changes everything. So as we take communion today, just remind yourself of whatever your past may be. It's covered. It's covered through the precious blood of Christ. Remind yourself today as we, as we take communion, who are those you might be qualifying before you serve them? And let's allow Jesus to break our hearts once again to walk in humility because none of us deserve his grace, but yet he shed it out for you and I. He gives it to you and I. And so let it, let it humble us as we serve those around us and serve and serve and serve with God's grace and his love. Amen. So we're going to take communion together. If you remember, take the, the top foil part off that revealed the wafer and then go ahead and let's do it now. Let's partake the other foil and that will reveal the grape juice and we're going to pray over the emblems today and we're going to close in a beautiful hymn of the church in Christ alone beautiful song and we're going to thank Jesus for all he's done for us amen would you pray with me and let's thank God for these emblems today ask his blessing over us father God as we hold these emblems in our hands we are in awe of your mercy and grace we thank you for this wafer that we hold in our hands that symbolizes your body that was given for us, Jesus. And you said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. You literally gave everything for us that we might know that holy God. You are the bridge between us and God. You bore his wrath. You bore our sins so that we might have a right relationship. So thank you for covering us, Jesus. Thank you that this cup symbolizes your blood. We know that without the shedding of blood, there could be there could be no forgiveness of sin. There had to be a penalty. But because of the penalty, there, there had to be a price. And Jesus, you paid that price for us through your sinless body. And for that, we are forever grateful. So bind us together, Lord, as a church. Humble us as we serve our world. And as we see the things that go on in the world, you are not immune to them. Lord, I pray you change our apathy to empathy, that you'd give us your heart for what you see. And let us be your hands and your feet extended in this world. We love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the both. We'll partake of the bread first. And then you can partake of the cup. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're just going to close this in prayer. Uh, in song, and then we'll close in prayer. Can we just thank the Lord this morning for his word? Is Jesus worthy? Amen. Can we thank him this morning? He's worthy of it. Amen. God bless you to sing this to him.